Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Bandroom Podcast. My name is Dylan Maddox. And I'm Kate Nishimura. And the first thing that I want to get out of the way today is an apology. I want to apologize to you, the listener of the Bandroom Podcast. Last week, I was so excited to talk to Karim Simon. I plugged in everything. And you'd think this would be figured out by, you know, year two of a pandemic where we're dealing with microphones and electronics every single hour of the day. But my microphone wasn't on and my laptop mic was what picked up the audio. So it wasn't our regular high standards here at the Banner Podcast. But this week, as you can tell, my microphone is on. So Woo-hoo. thank you so much for listening. And even, you know, it's not, that's not what matters. You got the great Karim Simon and all, and all of his knowledge and stories. And that's what matters. But I just want to put out there the Canadian that I am. I am sorry. I am deeply <laughs> sorry. But beyond that, <laughs> how are you, Kate? Oh, I'm just fine. Uh, I love that you, you have to say sorry and not you haven't mm-hmm. reverted to sorry or however no. our american friends pronounce they that will word not change me. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and we celebrated canadian thanksgiving yesterday because we're recording on a tuesday here um and it was able to get together with uh, many canadians here in tempe arizona oh that's couple, so nice a couple newfoundlanders and uh, and uh, and then of course the castlers so it was <laughs> it was a great time it was yeah, a great that's time great. Awesome. I didn't have to cover up how I say things. Um, <laughs> but speaking of Canadians and Canadian things, I'll remind you that that we are supported by the Canadian Band Association. And there's a really exciting opportunity that involves them and a special someone who I think you might know, Kate Nishimura. <laughs> a, a wonderful consortium opportunity that we really want to tell you about involving Kate and the National Youth Band of Canada. Yeah, so I'm an alum of the National Youth Band of Canada, um, so it's it's really special to have been asked to write a piece of music celebrating their 30th anniversary. Um, so with in partnership with the Canadian Band Association, the Ontario Band Association, and then National Youth Band of Canada, uh, there's a consortium project where I'm going to be writing a brand new grade five band piece, um, approximately eight to 10 minutes in length, Secrets out. I have not started it, so I don't know what this piece is going to be. Um, <laughs> but I'm really life changing. Yeah, I'm really excited um, to have the opportunity to write for a community that has been such a big part of my musical development and personal development over my life. Uh, so I'm I'm hopeful that there will be some familiar names and also maybe some new names um, participating in the consortium. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you've got a band that can play at that level or you want to uh, contribute to the project, you can do so. We're going to make sure we put a link in our episode notes to the flyer um, containing all of the more specific details for anybody that wants to check it out. Um, but the the piece will be premiered, hopefully pandemic Mm -hmm. pending, you know, um, in May of 2022, and then will be available to consortium members after that um, with some exclusivity. So if you're interested in getting in on that and getting a chance to work with me and being part of new music and particularly Canadian band music, it would mean a lot. So yeah. Yeah. And guess what, folks? I put my money where my mouth is. And when I say I put my money, I mean I put Arizona State University's <laughs> money. <laughs> and we're part of this consortium. And Yay. I'm going to be doing this piece next year with the Wind Ensemble here at Arizona State, which is very exciting. And even a possibility of of Kate coming down 
who knows what the world will be like, but, but it's a very yeah. exciting possibility and you should support Kate and you should support the Canadian band association, the national youth band. It's a very exciting opportunity. And, um, speaking of consortiums and composers and all those things, we had a really great conversation today with composer, pianist, and educator, Catherine Lacuda. What a treat it was to speak with her. Um, I, it's It was the first time uh, kind of getting to know her and to hear her talk about why she writes music, her amazing path. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I have not heard a path like that I know. in my life. Yeah. And it's and it's uniquely, as she will say, Lakuda. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was just so much fun, even just in the the part where we talk about, you know, where, why, and how did your musical journey begin? You know, we <laughs> ask everybody that, but this was such a unique um path, as you said, and and just so much fun to hear more about why she does what she does and some exciting projects that she's been a part of. And I feel so inspired. Every time I get to talk to a composer, but I feel so inspired after this conversation because of how how palpable her energy was, even through yeah. <laughs> multiple time zones and technology and everything. I can just tell how much she cares about what she does. Uh, so I think everyone's really going to enjoy listening to this conversation. Yeah, great conversation. Yeah. And speaking of great things, would you mind, would you consider doing us a favor? And what favor might that be, Kate? That favor would be, if you've been listening, a long-time listener, you know what I'm going to ask, but if you're new here, we would love it if you could make sure that you've liked or subscribed to the Bandroom podcast on whatever podcast platform you are listening to. If it's Apple Podcasts, you can actually leave a rating and a review for us. Let us know what you think about the pod. Recommend it to your friends. It really does help us reach more listeners, and that's really important to us. So yeah, make sure you've done that. It only takes a second. And thank you so much to everybody who has already helped us out in this way. Mm-hmm. And if you want to go the extra step, we got a little thing called Patreon that you can become part of. And today we recorded another hilarious bonus episode with Kathy. It really was. Um, she is well known in our band world, of course, um, but she's also a superstar in the horn world. Mm-hmm. And uh, she shared with us the origin stories of a piece called I Threw a Shoe at a Cat. <laughs> um, some people have pieces called Symphony Number no. One. Some people have other pieces named other things. But this one, <laughs> I threw a shoe at a cat. Yeah. So if you want to know <laughs> the origin story of this, which, by the way, is not what I thought it was, um, please check out patreon.com slash bandroompod where you can hear that bonus episode and many, many more, as well as other useful resources and things that you can have access to. So without further ado, here is our conversation with Catherine Lacuda. Here we are for another exciting Bandroom podcast, and today is very exciting. There's there's so many time zones going on right now, I just can't believe it. We got <laughs> Mountain Time, we got someone in Toronto area, actually not at all, we have someone in Guelph, and today's guest from Australia, which is very exciting, and that is composer, pianist, and educator, Dr. Catherine Lacuda. Welcome to the Bandroom podcast. 
Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Yeah, this is really exciting. Uh, you've been on our our guest list for a while, and finally, finally, the time has come, which is very exciting. So, thank you so much for making yourself available for this. Um, I guess we'll start where we always start in any of these conversations, and it is where, why, and how did your musical journey begin? Oh, okay. Um, how many minutes do I have to answer this question? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking how how much I should condense. Uh, yeah. Um, so the, 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 I I say quite often in conversations of this format that there are no short Lakota stories. So um, I was born in the family of musicians on both sides. So I didn't really have much choice, kind of, but to become a musician. So I had uh, um, jazz rock drummers on my dad's side and i had choral conductors and pianists on my mom's side my mom's dad was a saxophonist and multi wind multi-instrumentalist and he had a um he was conducting a band back in the soviet union days and uh but it was not a wind band as we know it um right you know the one that we're talking about in this podcast (laughs) and uh yeah, I started showing a lot of interest in music, jazz and this kind of music was playing in my household since before I was born. And I started showing interest in playing piano and uh, and the uh, fascination was written and things like that when I was about four. And I started playing uh, jazz piano when I was uh, five and a bit. Um, and then we added classical piano onto it when I was um, about seven. And uh, it came very easy to me. So, And I was really excited at first when I didn't realize that you'd have to practice. And I didn't need to practice at first because I was just, it, it was just, uh, you know, I was, I, I was just uh, um, utilizing my genes to the full extent. <laughs> right. And uh, just kind of uh, naturally being good. Yeah. <laughs> but then by the time I was maybe 10, I got... Uh, I kind of evened out with other kids, and uh, by the time I was 13, I started to suck. So <laughs> I realized that I need to practice or, or, or quit, and I decided that uh, the 13-year-old Kathy decided that I played piano since I was five, so this is quite a big waste of time if I don't proceed <laughs> yeah. with it. So I decided that yeah. probably I need to um, take a less fun road and start practicing. So I did. And, uh, yeah, and I did my undergrad, uh, which is a five year. So I obtained all of my degrees other than my PhD in Ukraine, mm-hmm. um, all free of charge. And, uh, okay. it was all very, um, yeah. It, and it was, uh, really great education. The more mm-hmm. I travel and the more I see, um, around the world, uh, Ukrainian education, at least at that time, was really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did my five-year bachelor's degree in jazz and classical piano. And then when I was, um, uh, if I was in my second to final year, so I was 18. So we start very early in Ukraine. I started, I was the youngest in my bachelor's program, but I was okay. not even 14, not 14 yet when I started. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, so when I when I was 18 and I was about to finish, we had this, as part of the curriculum, we had the jazz ensemble course. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, you know, your usual jazz ensemble, uh, uh, piano, trumpet, saxophone, um, 
electric guitar, bass guitar, drums, stuff like that. And uh, we were looking for some repertoire to play, something new. And uh, my fr- and we were all friends. And so my friends, I was the pianist for the ensemble, and they asked me if I could come up with some tunes. And so I wrote mm-hmm. these three little tunes and arranged them, and I brought them in. And that was my real first real kind of composing experience. Before that, I wrote some little pieces from my mom's piano students but that was like I didn't want to do it she she kind of made me <laughs> do it um I didn't want to notate things but here I uh, wrote it for my friends and I, I brought it to the class I played it with my friends and and by no means was it the best music in the world but in that moment for that group of people it was because they were playing mm. their best friend and the best friend was sitting here on the mm. piano you know and so I just remember that incredible feeling, um, you know, I was 18 and I still remember it. Uh, we won't mention how many decades later, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I remember I just came out of that room and I was going home and I was just thinking, oh my God, I want to feel like this for the rest of my life. You know, a person who's <laughs> never tried any drugs, um, this was like, or never got <laughs> drunk. Uh, this was like that kind of special high, high. for me and, yeah. and I just thought I want to yeah 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 I want to experience this and uh so that's how I kind of decided to become a composer and then I did a five-year wow. um higher degree in composition in Ukraine mm-hmm. and then I moved to the U.S. um okay. with my husband so my husband is a mat- mathematician he we met in Kiev and right. then the, there's not much to do for mathematicians in Ukraine, if, mm. if you want to be able to make a living. So he applied for some grad schools in the U.S., and he got into some awesome grad schools there, and he chose Cornell because it's, okay. they make him the best offer out of everyone. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we went to Ithaca, and I uh, couldn't. I knew all the grammar of the English language, and right. I had the vocabulary, but I couldn't put it all together in front of real people with the speed with which it was required to be done. So right. I just I just didn't want to, you know, I was scared to talk to anyone. And we met with Dana Wilson at that time because my husband was trying to figure out what I would do next. Mm-hmm. So we met with Dana Wilson and uh, we thought Steve Stuckey would be too intimidating because those were the main two composers <laughs> we were thinking about um, at, right. in, in Ithaca at that time. And... Uh, Dana Wilson enjoyed my music. We have the um, common background in jazz piano. And uh, so Dana, and I couldn't put, like, I couldn't say anything to him. I was just like, hello, and that's it. And, uh, right. and so he, um, he said that, you know, if I wouldn't come more often than every couple of weeks, he would help me out. He would coach me on my composing free of charge because mm-hmm. he understood okay. our situation. And, uh, yeah. Which is like unbelievable. And so we did that for three and a half years uh, wow. while we were in Ithaca. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, so uh, just I, I owe so much of my, you know, my whatever whatever success I have as a composer. Mm. Um, I owe so much of it to Dana. And just he was my everything at that time because I didn't know anyone. I couldn't talk right. to anyone. Mm-hmm. And he was there and he would be, you know, he would wait for me to, to express my phrases in the English yeah. that I could. And he thought that I was a very shy girl because I couldn't say anything. But that was not because I was shy. <laughs> it was because I was scared. 
scared to speak English. If only he yeah. knew. Uh. Oh, oh, yeah, he knows now. He he, recall, <laughs> he recalls this story and he laughs about it. So, um, you know, as months went on, I became more and more confident in English and then he couldn't stop me from talking. <laughs> so that was quite, an, you know, quite a fun transformation. Yeah. Um, I didn't study any band music with him uh, or band writing uh, that I had to figure out on my own later on. But uh, he's uh, just an incredible educator and we really clicked and it was just, um, just I, I just had the best time. And uh, then six months later, I started going to a seminar at Cornell, a uh, composition seminar. They had it every Friday and said that it was open to the public. Right. And basically, I was the public. So I started <laughs> coming and, uh, um, you, you know, and they, they didn't say anything to me. They would just say hi, I would say hi, I would sit in the corner <laughs> and listen and observe everything that was happening, all the awesomeness. And then uh, I went like that for the entire spring semester of 2005. And then fall semester came and I came back and Steve Stuckey came to me after that first seminar and he was like, okay, you need to tell me who yeah. you are because you're back now. And and I'm like, but but it's open to the public. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me who you are. I want to know. I'm, I'm puzzled. You know? And uh, so, so I told him and I told him about the situation with Dana and I played him some mm-hmm. of my music and he said, well, I can teach you for free too. There we go. It's like composer like, competition. What is happening to yeah. my life? Yeah, I was like, what is happening to my life? Did I hit a jackpot? Uh, which I realize now that totally, I totally did in, in like um, composer equivalent, yeah. you know. And so I said, yes, thank you. So after that, so that was six months after I started with Dana. So Steve, the late Steve Stuckey coached me on my composing from a different perspective uh, for mm-hmm. three years oh, wow. as well. And it was just just incredible. And uh, he programmed the piece that I was working on at that time. He programmed that piece for a performance at a graduate composer's recital at Cornell, uh, which was a dream come true. And I played the piano and uh, it went really well. I remember I always tell people that I don't want to run back on stage while people are applauding. If people want me to come back, they will keep applauding. And and I use that as an example because we played the piece. It was for clarinet and piano. We played the piece. We left the stage and we're just chatting, having fun, excited, hugging. And then the guy who was um, kind of the host of the concert, he was announcing the pieces and all that. He ran to us and he said, what are you idiots? Go back. They're still clapping. And we're like, oh, okay. So we we came back, but it was like, I don't know, 40 seconds or so until we came back. So that was really nice. And it was, yeah, but it kind of was a pivotal concert of my career in a way, because Cindy Johnston Turner, who is now in Canada, and um, she just moved there from UGA. Mm -hmm. And before that, at my time in Ithaca, she was at Cornell. She just came to Cornell. Mm-hmm. She was an awesome supporter of student composers. She always did some collaborations with them and uh, just she just mm-hmm. just incredible in so many ways. So she was at that concert and she came to me after afterwards and she said, I want you to write for band. Yeah. And I was like, what's, what's band? Because <laughs> I had no yeah. idea what band was. Right. And so she was like, okay, we need to talk. So I was like, okay, let's talk. So we exchanged emails and and uh, then uh, maybe six months later, I started writing my piano concerto for her, for me to play with her band and with her conducting, which was my first 
band piece. Oh, wow. Um, so this is, so I have to draw the line somewhere of where I stop talking and let you ask more questions. There is more, like I can keep going, but. <laughs> no, this is fantastic. I keep a good balance. Yeah, this is good. Yeah. And it's, it's always cool to hear how small, uh, how small of a world is. Yeah. Because Cindy's a past, past guest in here and a, and a friend of ours. She actually lives in the same city that Kate's in now. Mm-hmm. Oh, so cool. So it's, it's, it's funny how, how small the world is and, yeah. and what, what wonderful people you yeah. have just at the kind of, not the beginning of, of your, your education, but you know, just to be there the right place at the right time, which is part of it, but it's also part of it that you put yourself in that place at the right time yeah. to, uh, to let yourself be heard. So that's very cool. Absolutely. And that was probably the hardest for me. That was the hardest uh, part of my composing compositional path. Well, mm. two hardest parts. One was managing the parenthood. Um, mm. oh, yeah. uh, so, but that's, you, you know, m- many people have to do that. But the other one was changing the, my country of residence twice. Mm-hmm. Mm. And when I came here from the U.S., it was a little bit better. But when I came to the U.S. from Ukraine, that was so hard because, you know, I would tell them that my teacher was this and this and I would have recommendations, but they had no idea who these people were. So yeah. it's not going right. to it's not going to help. So that was very tricky. But, uh, you know, I persevered because I didn't have any other choice. Yeah, you did it. And yeah, I can't <laughs> like I can't even imagine putting yourself out there, but then also just not as you mentioned, just not feeling comfortable with the language and still, still be like, nope, I'm going and I'm going to meet these people. And so that's amazing. So what was it that led you to Australia? Yes. So my husband got a job at uh, the University of Queensland and uh, we decided to move here. Um, We somehow thought that we would always stay in the U.S. because we loved it there at that time so much. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I remember having a conversation with my doctor. I had some kind of uh, a tiny little skin thing uh, during the heat. And then she said, well, it might become a little bit of a bigger problem if you move to a hotter climate. And I said, no, I'm not going to move ever move to a hotter climate because I don't like the heat. And then we moved to Australia. So, yeah, <laughs> never say never. You know? And uh, yeah, so so that was the reason to move. And uh, I had to make myself a name here yet again. <laughs> but we haven't, we haven't, um, uh, can't really complain. I mean, it's it's hot. It gets hot in the summer, but it's, a, it's such a beautiful country. And I love our city. Mm-hmm. Our city feels like it has everything that you need, but it's kind of a smaller city compared to Melbourne mm-hmm. or Sydney. So Brisbane is two and a half million. And I feel very comfortable because right. I come from Kiev. I lived my first 25 years of my life in Kiev, which is the capital right. of Ukraine. And that's nearly 3 million. So it's about the same size. So Ithaca was really kind of a weird detour, but but I love <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah I, I kind of, I really miss it now. I didn't really enjoy it in the first six months of my life there, but now I miss it almost every day. But uh, yeah, and we've been here for nine years and uh, yeah, I've done most of my band writing while in Australia. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. Yeah. And it sounds like all of those experiences moving all over the world, you know, that has just contributed to the development of who you are as an artist, but also just who you are as a person in your life. And it's it's so great to hear about 
all of those stories and, and how you ended up where you are now. Absolutely. Yeah, it was very interesting. And I had to find the right balance. You know, I knew I saw that if I don't approach people, and if I don't tell them about my work, they just won't know, because it's not mm -hmm. like uh, their professor studied with my professor back in grad school or something. And we have these common friends, you know, it just they will just never know. So I need to kind of find a non pushy way to meet with people and to make myself uh, known and sometimes it played in a, in really kind of very unexpected ways for example i um so when i don't write for band i mean i i write a lot of different music but to on a large scale when i don't write for band i write for horn mm -hmm. or it's actually the other way around um so i have over <laughs> over over 20 works for horn and i just love writing oh, wow. for horn and somehow we just we have this synergy with was the i i have this synergy with the horn community and um um, I, uh, didn't have any pieces for Horn in 2009 and, uh, I was supposed to visit the University of Michigan from Chicago where we lived at that time. And, uh, I wrote to their piano professor and to their clarinet professor and someone else, um, because, um, I thought we could maybe meet for lunch or something. I could tell them about the music that I have for, um, my, uh, for their instruments, uh, because who knows when I'm going to be visiting next time, you know, and that sort of thing. So I, mm -hmm. um, emailed their piano professor. I remember, and he emailed back straight away, almost saying that uh, he's going to be out of town. But uh, he listened to my little rondo for, for piano, the only recording I had at that time. He listened to it on my website, and he thought that um, their horn professor, Adam Answorth, would really enjoy it. And he said, you should email him and tell him that I said that, and you should meet with him instead of me. And I thought to myself, this is going to be a really awkward email. <laughs> that guy said you would like my music. You know? And I don't even have any music for horns. So I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Like there is, I, this is where I draw the line with self-promotion, you know. And, uh, but he went further. He knocked on Adam Answer's door and he said, check this out. And so I received an email from Adam Answer's before I had to leave for Ann Arbor. And he said, oh, my piano colleague told me about your, your right. music. Maybe let's meet up for lunch. And I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. So we, so I met with him and we chatted I told him I studied with Dana. He told me he studied with Gail Williams and Dana Wilson and Gail Williams worked and collaborated closely for, you know, decades. And so we had common background there. Adam plays jazz, so we had common background there. And uh, so days later, Adam emailed me with the proposal for first commission. And then I kind of, I've been writing for Horn ever since and uh, performing with Adam in different parts of the U.S. and in Australia ever since as well. That's wonderful. Cool. Yeah, so cool how all those connections come together. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of that, actually, so with with your your background in jazz piano, and I'm still baffled by the fact that you started playing jazz piano at five years old. I feel like everything in your <laughs> in your story is just shifted by several years from what <laughs> most people do. Um, we were wondering how your experience as a performer influences you as a composer and maybe just impacts your overall musicianship with, you know, being a performer first. Yeah, well, uh, when I was 
five, five and a half. I was a very comfortable performer. So I remember my first performance I played was my uh, jazz, jazz piano teacher's uh, sons in a trio. Uh, his sons were uh, a, a double bassist and a percussionist. Um, and they were 16 and 18. And I was five and a half it was winter so and I, so I would turn six in May so I remember because I was wearing my fur coat I was wearing my little little five-year-old fur coat and we were sitting it was the the concert the little concert hall and it was cold there so I was wearing my fur coat waiting for my performance to come up and then they announced me and I came out on stage in my fur coat and my grandma ran after me and took off my fur coat and I was like oh okay and then I started jamming and I wish we had videos from those days, but, you know, it was before all the YouTube and, and, mm-hmm. and phones, but I would have killed to see that video of five-year-old me playing five and a half. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that, um, uh, my experience as a performer, I think it, it, it played a huge role and is still playing a huge role in my composing, in how I treat performers how I think through or try <laughs> ideally in most situations to think through mm-hmm. what I'm going to say to the performers in what context, who is listening, whether I'm putting them on the spot or not, you know, all those elements, I think it's hugely important. Well, to the, I also come from the culture where you are not actually allowed to enter a degree in composition if you don't have a performance experience. So oh. in Ukraine, only performers can apply for, for composition. Yeah. So you have to have at least, like for piano or violin, it's seven years of music school. So you need to mm-hmm. bring diplomas. A, a diploma with, you know, four concerts a year for seven years. And in some other instruments, it's five years. Um, in I think in most brass instruments. But mm-hmm. you have to have that initial qualification so it's really important for the ukrainian upbringing um compositional upbringing Mm -hmm. and uh i also remember when i was a teenager especially and i would get my hands and you know i could finally kind of deviate from playing non-stop haydn and mozart and all that nothing wrong with that you have to play that when you're Mm -hmm. learning but (laughs) when i could start playing um uh jazz jazz concert etudes by uh, nikolai kapustin I was just having so much fun. They were so hard and they were so fun and so amazing. And I just couldn't believe my luck that I got my hands on this piece. And it's like the best thing ever. And I'm a rock star when I'm practicing it, when I'm playing it, you know. And um, I want my performers to have that sort of experience in one way or another. You know, if my piece is lyrical or it's sad and it tells a story or, you know, like scraps from a madman's diary, it's a piece about mental illness. So I want to talk about that um, important issue through music and why I want musicians to be able to, if they feel like, I want them to be able to kind of have this emotional cleansing through performing this piece or something funny or something uh, energetic, you know, all sorts of things. But um, mm-hmm. I want the performers to grow, to learn, to have fun and to feel something. Uh, so performers are always at the uh, forefront of uh, everything that I do. And, you know, ultimately, a, an audience member will spend 15 minutes on a 15-minute piece. Mm-hmm. It's not that much to ask. If they don't like it, 
That's okay. That's just 15 minutes that they just sat there and did something. I want them to like it, but I know that not everyone will like everything. It's just that there is no universal piece that everyone likes, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if there is a piece like that, then I probably won't like it. So that's already <laughs> not everything. You know? um, but, uh, uh, but, you know, but performers will spend weeks to months on a 15-minute piece, mm-hmm. Uh, depending on the difficulty level. And I want them to um, have a positive, special experience. Uh, I want them to learn, mm-hmm. to grow, and to have fun. Yeah. And to get something genuine, to to get something that they wouldn't mm-hmm. um, get from other composers. And I mean it for, like, I see this being the case for every composer, not just me. It's not uniquely mm-hmm. Lakuta. The pieces yeah. that I like to listen to the most or, or play the most are the ones where you can see that uh-huh, this is by that composer. It's not mimicking someone. Yeah. It's, it's authentically them. Beautiful. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a really great mindset. And it's one that we, I guess, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking to Nicole Puno uh, about about her being a, a trumpet player first and then also and then going into composition and how that just you know things become a little bit more ergonomic for the musician and as you said enjoyable what i think is super interesting is to think about i've never really thought about like the performer experience versus the 15 minutes of the audience experience it's it's kind of a cool thing to think about uh and the other th- the other thing is just um the unique um being a performer and like having to have that performance experience and then then go do a degree in composition because historically that's kind of how it was and then now you know we kind of see a separation of that so it's a a wonderful input into your into your compositional background yeah well in ukraine i once again i left in 2005 so Hmm. i'm not sure how things have been developing since then i i don't think there would have been so many changes to this particular um side of education but in ukraine you cannot do an undergrad in composition Hmm. Uh, you can do, or at least in Kiev, you do, you kind of need to be ready for it. You need to grow uh, to a certain level before you are allowed to compose for other people. Right. And uh, I think it's really cool. I don't know. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's yeah. cool too. So yeah, and, ultimate, uh, and you know, I'll, I'll, ultimately it worked for me. So um everyone's different everyone's past is different but i was really glad that uh this is how it was for me and again all free of charge all free of charge oh my god that's goodness. amazing yeah which <laughs> oh which yeah helped. i bet yeah I well bet. i i i had a tricky family situation where i had to work from very early on my mom um got sick when i was 6 my mom got sick with multiple mm. sclerosis and even though we didn't know for another 17 years that it actually was multiple sclerosis um she had these terrible this terrible debilitating thing which we had no idea what it was and so i was kind of the man of the house since right. i was 9 i started cooking and shopping and doing everything when i was 9 or 10 or so and uh, i started to teaching piano to earn some money when I was 13. And so paying for my education was the last thing on my mind. So um, that was, uh, that was good that there was that support. Yeah, that's wonderful. uh, There from the government. That's really wonderful. (laughs) And um, you already kind of talked about um, how you started writing for the wind band. So maybe 
I know we're going to be preaching to the choir with this question, but why do you think other composers should consider writing for the wind band? There's a bunch of reasons. And, uh, well, look, the band industry has to tell me whether I should say that, <laughs> to other composers that they should consider writing for the band or not. The way things are going right now, I definitely would suggest that they write for the mm -hmm. band. But we need to make sure that we keep going on this trajectory where we play diverse composers and we don't just play the same fantastic composers, but we just don't play just, just you know, those 10 or 20 people over and over and over again at every performance. Um, so it's, I think it strongly depends and the inspiration for composers would be there if, if they keep seeing this um, huge shift at the moment happening in programming. Right of uh, many people and you know many people have been programming like this for years and years already they didn't need a nudge from mm. anyone <clears throat> cindy johnson turner actually when she approached me after that concert which was in november 2007 we met with her uh, maybe a month later or so <clears throat> and uh, she started talking to me about so we started talking about piano concerto because she, I think she enjoyed mm -hmm. my style of piano mm -hmm. playing and, and writing for piano. And so she wanted to feature me as a soloist. And uh, she then started talking about female composers and how there are not enough pieces commissioned from female composers in the band. And I was like, I've never heard it before. And I think she was so ahead of the, the time with that mm -hmm. um you know before before i heard it from anyone else that was years right. um and uh so you know just this support from uh the industry not just from a couple of people but from the industry in general this support and the new standard for what the programming has to be like mm -hmm. that is a crucial part of it because I will tell you that I turned down a couple of orchestral commissions in recent uh, years, a couple of years, uh, because it doesn't matter how much a commission pays. Nobody wants their piece to be performed once yeah. and left. And statistically, mm -hmm. that's what happens with Australian female composers yeah. in Australia. So um, for band, I always say that I will keep writing for band I will always be happy to write for band for as long as bands are interested and, and uh, band directors are interested in playing my music because I'm absolutely in love mm -hmm. writing for bands. Every time I write a cool um, uh, climax with two bus coming up and, and uh, <laughs> you know, just a big crescendo, I don't know, it's like this is not the, a huge part of what I do, but somehow there is this kid in me who gets so excited about, you know, using all these brass instruments and uh, creating this force um, with that. And uh, for me, wind band has... <laughs> don't tell anyone. Yeah, okay. Uh, but uh, for me, wind band has more, way more colors than symphony orchestra for me, for my writing, the way I approach it. And uh, it's agile. It can, uh, it's used to, because a lot of musicians in the band have some background in jazz. It's more used to <clears throat> more intricate rhythms, uh, etc. And they they just play living composers, you know? They, yeah. they don't, like, program one living composer <clears throat> per season, they just work with living composers all the time. So it's a, it's a really no-brainer, um, I think. But I think it's so important for us 
Uh, and I might be dipping into a different question or just opening a Pandora box altogether. But I think <laughs> it's so important. I heard only, luckily, only a few times, but I think it's on a lot of people's minds when they don't speak about it. Um, I heard people address band as a genre, not as a medium. Mm -hmm. And I think that's yeah. a crime against humanity because it shouldn't <laughs> be a genre. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be a style of music. You, you should be able to write whatever music the hell you want. It's an instrumentation, okay? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's really um, important. Um, yeah. What was the yeah, question? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's perfect. I think... Um, <laughs> Regarding the the bit about genres, I totally agree, and I think that the comparison is maybe to uh, visual arts, where uh, a painter maybe has access to a palette of colors, and what they do with it determines the style of their art and the impact that they make through their work. Uh, so you could say the same of composers having access to the colors of the instruments that they're working with. That That is not a style or a genre in itself. That's just the... Um, yeah, the, the colors, I guess, the textures and everything that you're working with, and it's it's what you do with it that makes it interesting. So that's a really, um, really insightful point. And what you've shared about why, why you would write for the wind band is so aligned with what almost every other composer that we've spoken with has had to say, just that the community is so welcoming, so supportive, and really takes the initiative to... Uh, to encourage us composers to create, keep creating, you know, and to be ourselves. And I think, you know, no um, hard feelings to the orchestra or to any, any other medium, but I, I definitely it's do okay. think some, that... some hard feelings yeah. to the orchestra. <laughs> Maybe some hard feelings. Yeah. They don't listen to this anyway. Okay. <laughs> but I, I do think it's just, there's a huge difference in, in the kind of support for living composers. So I'm really glad to hear that that has been your experience as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the driving forces uh, behind that because I, you know, having performances, it's not, it's never just about money. It's, it's about um, creating something and then having it, watching it live on kind of like with, with having a child, you know, and you don't want it to just disappear uh, after two or three performances. And uh, um, yeah, so having that, reinvigorating experience when you get more and more performances uh, is just so important and uh, it's really important to keep the repertoire, keep expanding it, uh, not just by a number of pieces by the same composers, but including more and more composers, adding more and more voices that have to say, they, that have different things to say. And, uh, you know, it's just, so important. I remember seeing uh, a couple of weeks ago, I saw an um, announcement about a wind band concert coming up here in, in Australia. And they said, um, we're going to perform the selection of the greatest, um, like the, the not the greatest hits, but something like greatest, oh, masterworks of the wind band repertoire. And I was like, <laughs> blah, blah, tell me what you're playing. I don't want to, 99% yeah. chance that I don't want to hear those masterworks again. You know, I want to know, I actually want to explore something new. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a masterwork and it doesn't even have to be that mm -hmm. perfect. But I want to hear a new story, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, absolutely. 
You know, Kate, I often think back to my time at music camp and how important that time was not only in my growth as a musician, but as a person. I feel the same way. My first time performing original music in front of a big audience was actually at a music camp, and many of the people I met at camp are still friends and colleagues of mine today. And 2022 marks the 60th anniversary of the Interprovincial Music Camp. That's right, 60 years of being Canada's most comprehensive music camp. IMC offers specialized camps for all levels of band, orchestra, musical theater, rock, jazz, and songwriting. Students can learn from faculty that include members of major symphony orchestras, Juno and Grammy Award winners, touring musicians, and music educators. Located at the beautiful Camp Manitou on Manitowabing Lake, in the heart of the muskoka Perry Sound region of Ontario, Canada, IMC facilities are second to none, with fully equipped cabins, amazing food with a special diet chef, I, I might need one of those, and daily concerts by world-renowned faculty and guest artists. IMC offers many traditional camp activities we know and love, including swimming, sailing, water skiing, beach volleyball, and much more, as well as evening programs for the campers each night after the faculty concert. IMC provides young musicians with comprehensive and exceptional musical training. With faculty members who are some of Canada's finest performers and educators, they bring a wealth of teaching experience and performing skills and are passionate about sharing their love of music with young musicians. Don't miss the opportunity to grow, be inspired, have fun, and make memories that will last a lifetime. Stay connected by following them on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter to learn more about how you or someone you know can celebrate 60 years of the Interprovincial Music Camp. Visit campimc.ca. That's campimc.ca. And um, one of the reasons I think a lot of bands enjoy programming new music by living composers is because they have the opportunity to actually contact the composer and ask them for feedback or ask them, you know, for insight about their pieces or maybe even have the opportunity to meet with them. And so I know you've done a bunch of work where you are collaborating with the ensembles that you've written music for by performing the piano part or maybe visiting with the group. So could you tell us about your approach to collaboration when it comes to um, being a composer and also a performer of your own work? Yeah. Oh, collaboration is my everything. I love collaborating and I love visiting places mm. and just, it, it's just, um, you know, 99% of the time, it's just such an overwhelmingly positive experience. And, uh, you know, when you come to the place and you think, Oh, I will mention to them who I am. And then you come and they're all buzzing about you. And you're like, oh, my God, thank you. I had no idea you even knew <laughs> who I was. And I had this, um, to an extent, I had this feeling even at the, so I went to the Midwest Clinic once in 2018. And um, mm -hmm. I... Uh, John Lynch included snippets of my piece Home Away From Home, which I was still finishing at that time. Um, he included it in the uh, as a closer for the Directors for Diversity session that Jody Blackshaw hosted. hosted. And uh, mm -hmm. so many people came to me afterwards and they said, oh my God, I'm so excited about this piece because it's going to be, um, that was my first at that time, grade, uh, like below grade five band piece and they mm -hmm. said 
So my school can play it because we, you know, I have I have Sportswoman's <laughs> Diary on my radar, but my high school can't play that. So and I mm-hmm. got that feedback from so many people, and I was like, guys, I had no idea you knew who I was. So <laughs> so it was really 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 nice that that you know that band directors they kind of a lot of them kind of seek new music like that and and uh yeah you know they just sit down and they listen and they look for not just for the music but for the person as well and to and you cannot imagine how many hundreds of times i heard that kate is just such a sweet person who just love having her you know it's, it's a very big component you know it influences the students yeah. as well um you know and it's it's i think it's really important for the students and especially in today's world um, for a lot of female students, it's really important to see somebody in that role and doing that. Yeah. So it's really, a, you know, a really a rock star kind of uh, position <laughs> that sometimes you feel yourself in, but in, in the best, in the most positive and humble of ways. But you just um, come and you're having such a good experience um, in, uh, you know, in um, with so many different activities, uh, being mm-hmm. able to influence a couple of students and inspire them and uh, receive some feedback and provide some feedback and uh, all that. Quite often it leads to new collaborations. And with piano <laughs> with piano playing, it's interesting. I enjoy sitting in the audience when somebody's playing my piano music or piano parts mm-hmm. in my music. But I love being on stage <laughs> and yeah. playing and Move being over. involved because, yeah, anyway, well, I feel like I um, there's only that much that you can put into the score. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when I'm playing, it's just like, this is, this is the way I hear it in my head. That's how I play it. And so it's really fun. And I just love being part of the um, group. Um you know, one of my most memorable uh, professional experiences was uh, recording and uh, performing um, out loud my, my piano concerto, my first band piece with uh, Cindy and her band at Cornell, because I, I had never done anything like that before. I never played in the band mm-hmm. as a pianist, mm-hmm. you know, um, as a pianist, I didn't get to play in any large ensembles. Yeah. And so that was terrifying the first two rehearsals but then it was just pure fun and joy and uh, excitement and uh yeah that's quite important for me the the last major one that i remember even though i i play all the time but with bands it's definitely uh, bands or orchestras it's definitely memorable uh, so I had the premiere of Home Away From Home in Carnegie Hall in New York City. It was uh, the absolutely lovely Jason Noble who hosted me there. And then after the premiere, the next day, <clears throat> I had to fly to Sydney. <laughs> I uh, landed in Sydney just before noon. Uh, my other absolutely lovely, amazing human and host um, and conductor, John Lynch, uh, took me to lunch and right after lunch we went to so that was like three hours after landing um <laughs> we went to the dress rehearsal of my uh saxophone concerto let the darkness out which has a featured piano part and uh, he wanted me to play the piano part and um uh so i had to we had like 15 minutes on the piece <laughs> Oh, and it's a 12 minute piece. So we had to, we had, we ran beats and then we talked about it a bit and then we did a full run. 
and uh, next day was the concert. Um, so that was a little bit like just thinking about it was a bit terrifying, right. but I had the absolute best time on stage with John Lynch. I remember I had the biggest butterflies in my stomach <laughs> coming out on stage because I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be playing my piece now under the baton of John Lynch. I'm like going to die here. I had a huge like starstruck moment. And then I was like, maybe now is not the right time to have these thoughts. So let's just have fun. And do, it's all in the music. Let's just yeah. bring it forward. And once I started playing and I got over this and, you know, I told myself, so these butterflies, this is just how excitement manifests itself. It's not yeah. nervousness. Just forget about it. This is excitement. And I just had the best time playing under John's direction. And we were just smiling at each other the whole time throughout <laughs> the performance. Awesome. And, you know, it's like music, like bone-breaking music, but we were having so much fun. <laughs> um, so I love moments like these and they stay with me, um, you know, potentially forever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing to hear you just, like how excited you are to talk about just those past collaborations. And uh, we've asked this question a number of times, and I don't know why, but... <laughs> You know, sometimes uh, we're fed that stereotype that composers like stay in their little composing closet and they they're by themselves all the time and solitary creatures. But I don't think I've met one that is like that. Uh, and it's it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about this. Is there anyone? I think maybe those composers don't become as well known, and they, mm. especially maybe in the band world, because I think collaborating and uh, talking to students about your work and talking to band directors about your work is such a crucial part. Um, you yeah. know, in retrospect right now, I am um, I was just this week, this information was coming to me. Um, so I'm having um, a bunch of um, consortium premieres of uh, my most recent band piece, Planet B. And uh, mm-hmm. just hearing from, just hearing the band directors either announce from the stage or tell me in person how they were sold on it the moment they heard the concept, mm-hmm. you know, and it just makes me realize, like, I was just telling them about the concept because I couldn't shut up about it. I just, I wanted to, like, my, <laughs> my work, my, my music, it floods my entire life. I don't have a life uh, that's not impacted right. by it. I, you know, I don't have a part of life like that. But yeah. it just shows how it is really important to be able to communicate what you have to say verbally first, you know, to interest people. And um, I don't know, it's also for to inspire the next generation. I think the best way you can inspire somebody is by your example. You can show them that, uh, you know, I can tell people if I can do it, you can do it. I came from nowhere. Nobody knew me. Nobody took me by hand and brought me to mm-hmm. their colleagues and said, look, Dana couldn't do it because of my status, because I was studying with him. Uh, you, you know, I, I was, we just had individual lessons, but I was not his right. student at Ithaca yeah. College. So he couldn't, it would be yeah. unfair to his other students if he took me by hand or, um, you know, he wrote me recommendations for grad school, but, um, but not, um, you know, not, not helping me make connections like that, which was mm-hmm. totally fine because I learned to do yeah. it myself. And yeah. uh, so I can tell people that if I could do it, you can do it. But it really helps to just be a nice person. And composers who inspire me the most um, 
are the ones who are nice people. It's so important, mm-hmm. who are humble. I still remember Dana, the first couple of times I saw Dana come out on stage. He ran, and Steve Stuckey, Steve Stuckey, he just won the Pulitzer Prize at that time. And he was extremely wow. humble when he would come out on stage. He yeah. would never overstay his welcome. He was very down to earth and very humble. Mm-hmm. And Dana, I remember, Dana like took it to the next level. Uh, I think the <laughs> Ithaca College Wind Ensemble played a piece of his. And so he was supposed to come out for a bow. And he ran. And he tripped and he nearly fell down. But, but he didn't <laughs> fall down at the end. But he was... But he was so worried not to overstay his welcome. You know, he <clears throat> was aware that people are going to clap until he comes out, bows, and leaves. <laughs> so let's not make them feel like they're just waiting to stop clapping, you know? And and so <laughs> I learned from all these experiences and just shows me that the person thinks about others and just tries to yeah. kind of just stay a nice human. Yeah. Yeah. Well, th- those are important reminders for anyone, composers or not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we can all we can all have a little bit more of that in our lives. Very true. Yeah, definitely. And the people who are who are themselves, um, you know, it's really easy to tell when you're choosing music, uh, choosing a collaborator, you know, inviting someone to work with you. You want it to be somebody that you feel comfortable with, that you feel inspired by, that that you can tell is just being who they are in everything that they do. So I think it's so wonderful that, that yeah, collaboration is such a big part of, of what you do and what so many artists do. Um, there's more, more to, more to it than just the music. It's, it's about who the person is as well. So really great reminders yeah. about that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you brought this up just by chance. It was beautiful. It was so beautiful because <laughs> our next question is about, <laughs> planet b um, but you were talking before before we started recording you said you were on the phone with rob taylor and i was like oh i think i know what piece this is about so <laughs> we were wondering could you tell us a little bit about planet b the the consortium project what's the piece about and there's so many really cool elements that go into this this work yeah thank you thank you so much for asking um yes this was a very special project so it's didn't originally go as planned so i was nervous about a couple of things there because of the pandemic but it all worked out even for the better so mm-hmm. um without the unnecessary details but was providing enough context um <laughs> the piece was originally it was the idea of my then australian band music publisher masters was a mission to lead this consortium for this piece <laughs> And uh, that was pre-pandemic. And um, uh, Rachel Howley here from Brisbane, from uh, Grace Academy here, Grace Lutheran College, she was she wanted to lead the consortium uh, to do the premiere. And um, uh, yeah, and and uh, so we were making plans with her already, and we had plans with Masters was a mission, and uh, they got several people on board, and then. During the pandemic, it was all a bit on the back burner because, well, duh, you know. Uh, and uh, but then, um, everything was <laughs> yeah. But then their situation changed, and uh, we decided that it would be best if I lead this consortium on my own. And I decided that I would start to actually self-publishing mm-hmm. in Australia. Um, I still publish with Murphy Music Press in the US, and Sean is the gift to us all, isn't he? He's just incredible. Um, but anyway, <laughs> he uh, really is. He is. He really is one of a kind. So um, 
but uh, here I was put in this situation, which ended up being very useful, but terrifying at first, where I had to fight to lead my own consortium first time in my life. And uh, the plan was that Planet B was going to be a three, a grade three piece. And uh, I didn't have any contacts in the grade three world. <laughs> so I upped the level to grade four and I started hitting up people whom I knew. And I thought they would all say, no, what, what are you nuts? This is the worst time for any project. <laughs> and, but I had to, I was kind of pressed by it because the Australia started opening up and Rachel already had the premiere planned with Queensland Conservatorium here. So I needed to move. And I started writing to people and telling them about the concept. And they just, I would just get, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. One after another. And I couldn't believe it. I was like close to breaking into tears <laughs> of gratitude from all these responses. Or, you know, some people would be like, oh, yeah, I'm not sure I'll have the funds. And I remember somebody said, yeah, I don't know if I'll have the money. And I was like, yeah, that's okay. And then the consortium kind of officially closed, but there was still a button where you can, on my website, where you could uh, click and buy consortium participation. I didn't remove it because I didn't think like anyone would go. So maybe three days later, one of the band directors wrote to me saying, um, so I'm not like I saw that consortium was closing, but the button still worked. So I, I bought in. Is that OK? And I, that's OK. <laughs> so that was really, really sweet. You know, uh, that was very special to me. And uh, the concept of Planet B, I was just telling Rob about uh, this yesterday. So hopefully he's not going to be listening to it or being bored. But um I, uh, you know, when we decided that I was going to write this grade three piece, the idea was that the high school students would premiere it and most people who would be playing it would be high school students. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to write something that they could uh, relate to, uh, not just, you know, a nice, nice music, not just musically, but like conceptually, something that uh, bothers them, that's on their mm -hmm. mind or that, uh, you know something relevant to them uh just like i did with home away from home it was my first piece that was written kind of for freshmen in particular for the, for their premiere at Carnegie Hall. so i yeah. wrote this piece about them starting a new life on campus and moving away from their parents home so with this one i talked to rachel a bit and i asked her because she has two kids who are older than my eight-year-old and uh she She's been working with high school students for forever, you know. And uh, so she told me what was on their mind. And uh, she said, oh, anything, debates, war. And I said, well, I'm not going to write about war for high school students. That's, that's too much. Like, they already have a lot of negativity, you know. But we chatted about it. And then I was just walking around and thinking. And I saw this, there is no planet B uh, slogan somewhere at a, at a you know, um, uh, climate change protest and I thought oh my god planet b planet b this is this is and I started seeing this concept and the cartoon in my head about how uh it was all gonna go and uh what it means to the kids and you know it's basically it's just to make us think about what kind of planet we're leaving behind for this upcoming generation um and uh because that's basically what it is at the end of the day, right? They're stuck with whatever uh, bad choices um, the the um, society and the uh, industrialization made. And uh, so I told Rachel about it. 
And uh, I like called her immediately <laughs> and uh, she said, oh, I love it. Yeah, great idea. And she, <laughs> she invited me to their band room to chat to her students. And uh, it was supposed to be like a 30 minute chat. And I think we ended up talking for well over an hour. And uh, it was really fun, but it was also very deep. Um, remember, we split the blackboard into two parts and I said, how about... That was my idea to start a conversation, you know, on one on the left side, we write all the things that make us sad about the state of our planet. And on the right hand side, we write what we would want to keep and we, what we would want to take with us to, you know, to planet B for where to relocate. And uh, kids are really funny. So with like, what do we hate? slaughterhouses what do we love burgers <laughs> you know things like that oh, dear. <laughs> i was like do you look look to your left look to your right do you see anything that you know that's funny um but then you know but then the conversation once all this was out of the way the conversation started getting deeper and was um really thought-provoking and you could see first of all how deep this generation can be, you know, they're mm -hmm. all watching all these TikTok videos, but they're also having some of the most fundamental thoughts for their age. Mm -hmm. And uh, also um, the impact of technology and uh, on, on families and society and kids as a result. I remember there was this one kid with nine, like nine siblings or something like that. And he said, I've never felt lonelier than I do now, even though there are all these people in my house but because everyone's plugged into their device, you know, mm -hmm. I feel so lonely. So that was all really interesting and inspirational. And uh, I remember that chat really well. And Rachel said that it had a big impact on the students. So, uh, and they like, they couldn't stop talking, which was r really nice. Not that we tried to stop them, but <laughs> their uh, hands kept raising, you know. So it was something that really spoke to them. So that was the additional inspiration very important inspiration uh behind the music and then uh yeah then i took it into my composing studio and tried to write my second ever piece in a key in a key, <laughs> in a key. <laughs> in, at least in the past 15 years yeah yeah. <laughs> yes i i don't generally like i have my own kind of Likuta key it's it's something <laughs> tritone something but 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 with a tonic you know but here i had to like commit to a key and uh, uh and but, but it it all worked and it uh, was uh, a lot of fun and uh and then you know that there is no um i can talk about this project a lot and a lot because we then had the uh, charity concept you know caitlin beauvais who is a dearest friend and she's also a gift to us all she's just mm -hmm. incredible so mm -hmm. she was um providing emotional support every step of the way yeah. and she gave me this idea that i could plant a tree for each consortium member who joins in and i love that idea and i was yeah, like yeah beautiful. i'm gonna do it and then we saw as yeah but then we saw as we were kind of um moving along with it that uh you know, with consortium, like you're, you're not going to get 200 or, or 5,000 consortium <laughs> members. Right. So uh, because of how many trees are being cut, it's still not like nobody's going to notice it. It's going to mm -hmm. sound really nice and it's a nice initiative, but nobody's mm -hmm. going to notice it. So I wanted to do something 
that would be measurable for someone. It's okay if it's just one person, if it puts a smile on one person's face and make them feel supported. So I saw this organization, Care Kids for Kids, the um, kind of kids affected by domestic violence who were pulled out of families from these terrible situations. And uh, domestic violence is a bit of a pandemic in itself in Australia. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so they would uh, organize these, like you have to buy a new backpack and fill it up with new stuff. And they tell you what, what these kids need. Uh, um, and uh, they need brand new stuff. It's not just, a, you know, privilege or anything, but it's mentally, it's hugely important for them and psychologically mm-hmm. that they don't feel like somebody, that like they're second class citizens. Yeah they need to see that somebody genuinely cares. And so I decided that for each consortium member who joins in, I'll buy at least one item Mm -hmm. to contribute to Care Kids for Kids. And uh, then um, Angela Schroeder and her wonderful band in uh, Alberta, um, they contributed uh, a, a substantial sum of money towards that project so that really helped i was able to buy like seven seven or eight brand new disney backpacks (laughs) for the kids and uh that's so great so that was uh and that was really special it made me feel like we could put smiles on you know however many 10 20 kids faces that's all worth it if we can do it Mm -hmm. through band music let's do it you know yeah absolutely Um, so that was special and then the artwork then we yeah and then we involved the artwork about the planet from my daughter's primary school um here and they were all already doing paintings and drawings on the topic of ecology home belonging uh climate all that recycling you know so they were just like they were buzzing about Mm -hmm. that and uh, a week before the premiere, I invited them all. And uh, a week before the premiere, the my daughter said that like random kids would come to her and tell her, "Do you know about Planet B?" And they would try to tell her about Planet B. And she was Aww. like, "Dude, my mom is the composer of Planet B." <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it, but it was just so sweet, and and it's such a cool that aspect of the project. You know, it's this time capsule for for them as well because you know they're growing up pretty fast and I know so many of the kids from her school and they're all really good friends and I thought you know if we can involve them that's just such a cool way to do it and to have them feel seen and heard and understood Mm -hmm. so um, that was awesome and now other um you can perform the piece without the artwork. Totally, it's totally okay. And some conductors choose to do that, and some conductors choose to um, take it to the next level and collaborate with their um, art schools, their communities. And um, Amy Knops did it just uh, recently at uh, Mizzou, and uh, Rob is planning uh, cooking up a storm. Uh, oh, he always is at UBC. So. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, yeah, that's Planet B. <laughs> that's so wonderful. Oh, and I just wanted to say that if if people, you know, heard about Planet B and if somebody got interested in Planet B, it will be out of the consortium exclusivity um, in September 2022. So September next year, it will be out of the consortium exclusivity and you will be able to buy it on my website or uh, through Murphy Music Press. Perfect. 
That's wonderful. I'm glad you mentioned that. I was going to ask in case there are people who are just getting so excited as they listen to this. Oh, I want to include that as well. It gives people lots of time to plan concerts and maybe even concerts that are fully themed around this, you know, intersection of ecology and music and caring for others and and thinking about the future and all of that. I think it's it's such a wonderful way to get young people to be thinking about these topics and reflecting on all of this through music, through art, uh, rather than just as a standalone thing to, you know, for a teacher, let's say, to say, think about this, um, to really incorporate it into an experience. I think that's just such a great idea. Yeah, I think it's very important. And I think it's, uh, um, it's happening more and more. And I I think there is huge importance in this, um, you know, having the having the real life, and then coming into the band uh, band room, and the band room being a place for something else, and then leaving the band room and going back to real life. We can bring real life to the band room, and they can speak through their instruments, and they can express their emotions, and it's really emotionally cleansing, cleansing, in my experience. So, um, you know, contributing, making a tiny contribution towards that uh, it feels really nice yeah that's awesome so we have sadly reached the last question of this interview and I just love everything that you've shared with us so far I think the theme here is just how much it matters to you that you connect with other people whether it's as a performer, collaborator, composer, audience member, parent, all of the, the wonderful things that you do. I can tell how much you care about the people you work with. And that's that's really, really inspiring. Um, before I ask you the last question, I'll just remind our listeners that the three of us are going to go on to record a bonus episode for our Patreon community. Very exciting mystery topic and stories that Kathy will share with us. Uh, so for anyone who would like to listen to that and all of our other awesome, funny, hilarious, inspiring bonus episodes, you can go to patreon.com slash bandroompod. Okay, final question for you, Kathy. If you could give one piece of advice to composers or musicians in general, what would it be? Oh, not a loaded topic at all. <laughs> oh, that's a tricky one. You can pick two. You yeah, know. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a very yeah. I know. That's a very tricky one. But uh, for me personally, authenticity is, and you know, that's that thing. That word might mean different things for different people. But for me, authenticity has been extremely important. It gives me peace of mind. And it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I know that maybe there are not that many composers with a background like mine. You know, Ukrainian, born, then went to the mm-hmm. U.S., now lives in Australia, jazz, classical, piano, and drawing on all these things. <laughs> Um, and having a husband who is a mathematician, who knows what influence that has on my writing? You know, let's be honest. So, uh, you know, having all these components that make me me and pouring it into the music, I think that creates a unique product. And I think when you create a unique product, you are very comfortable with yourself and with your life. Um uh, as comfortable as you can be. And uh, I would definitely recommend that. Um, And uh, 
you know, also writing the, so for, for composers, writing the music that you are crazy about. Um, and I tell people, you know, I don't know, I don't know the humblest way to say that, but I write the music that I love to play and to listen to. And to me, it's a crucial component because otherwise it's like having people over for dinner and giving them the food mm-hmm. that you wouldn't want to eat yourself. <laughs> so it's like, if I don't love this music myself, how can I share it with the world and how can I believe in it? And, and, um, uh, tell people that they should play it. It's like, yeah, I don't know. Try this, you know? So to me, those two are really important. And also, Looking at my life and like this is for composers and musicians in general, uh, especially the ones probably the ones at the earlier stages of their career. Um, looking at my life in retrospect, so far, it's just bonkers. Like we never, we never knew that we would move to Australia. We never knew, uh, you know, to thir- twenty-five years ago, we didn't know we would move to the U.S. Um, and. Uh, um, you know, basically before moving to the U.S., I visited like two countries in my life. And then I just moved to the U.S. Like, let's just do this, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, all the career choices that I made and all the connections, all the people I met along the way who helped me. So I think just kind of believing that this is what you are meant to do and following your intuition and uh, doing your absolute best so that people one day, if people come along and they want to promote your music or perform your music or help you, that you can give them the best product that you can produce, um, that sort of thing. And then, you know, things will work out. You have no idea how they will work out because I, looking back, I never thought that I would have all these steps, but they work out and uh, you just need to be ready to put your best foot forward and don't worry about what happens five years from now, 10 years from now, just keep doing your best thing. And uh, if you have that fire in your belly to do music, to do composing or to do music, you can't put a price on it, even if your salary is lower. Uh, that happiness that comes from, from genuine, you know, excited music making, what do you, like, how do you monetize that? Um, mm-hmm. yeah, this is a very, very vague, but inspired <laughs> advice. <laughs> oh, no. I think no. so. <laughs> no, that's, that's beautiful advice. And, and folks, you got your money's worth on this one, which is zero because <laughs> you don't pay for this. So thank Priceless. you so much. <laughs> all of that and it's it's just it's always great to hear advice that can be visibly seen in the guest that's giving it and and hearing hearing you talk about being your authentic self is just it's so wonderful and and both Kate and I are immensely grateful for you to take the time uh, to be on the podcast with us today. And um, I'm always surprised. I'm always excited to talk to people. Um, but always surprised and, and honored whenever I he- I can hear the truth that their true selves and, and now our listeners get to hear a little bit more about you and check out your music and to see your performances and we were we're gonna link whatever we can link <laughs> to this episode so so more people can um, be lacutified. I just made thank that you up. So much. I um, like that. I'm, I'm gonna use that. And uh, thank you so much. 
for having yeah, me yeah. and thank you so much for this podcast. It's fantastic. It's such a fantastic resource um, for people to just, you know, like yesterday I chatted with Rob Taylor for the first time. So today I went and I listened to Rob Taylor's podcast and it's just so great <laughs> that people can just pull out the, these episodes and listen to them at uh, any time about any person of interest to them. And uh, I'm uh, really, really grateful and humbled that uh, you included me in this. Thank you for including me. Thanks so much for spending time with us in the band room. If you want to learn more about anything we discussed in today's episode, check out the links found on our website, bandroompod.com. If you liked what you heard, make sure to subscribe to the Bandroom Podcast, give us a rating and a review, and tell all your friends about how much you enjoyed it. If you really love the show, maybe you should consider becoming part of our Patreon community, where you can support BRP and get some extra incentives in return. Or you can buy some sweet, sweet BRP merch, helping to offset podcast hosting costs and investments into new equipment so that we can continue to bring you great content and great people. Follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube to keep up with what's on the go. If you have any thoughts on today's episode, leave us a comment on our website, bandroompod.com, where your comment might be featured on a future episode of BRP. The Bandroom Podcast is produced by the wonderful Jonathan Wong. And our theme music is Skyline, composed by EKR Hamill and performed by Dr. Gillian McKay and the University of Toronto Wind Ensemble. Stay safe and be well, bandies. Thanks again for stopping by the band room. <laughs>